Atomic bomb. It's operational. I intend to use it. What type is it? I don't know. I don't know what type. I've never seen it before. But didn't you see a series number? No numbers. Just... Just some letters on... On one, one of the fins. Greek letters. Alpha... And... And Omega. Doomsday bomb. Oh, God. What a lovely souvenir from the 20th century. Do you expect me to talk? episode 195 of Would You Expect Us to Talk. I'm your host, Becca, and that's always joined by my fellow co-hosts, Chris and Dave, and also our special guests for this series, Charlie Brigden. Hey. <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> hey. Jazz hands. Chris, say hello. <laughs> oh, hello. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. So, I'll, I'll, I was doing, ja- I was do- doing jazz hands. He's doing jazz hands. And I realised that no one could see me. So, it, it, are, are jazz hands what you do when you're reading jazz mags? <laughs> <laughs> right. We well, can't keep interrupting that because I think there's a moth flying across my screen. <laughs> and the, cat, the cat's got interested, so the cat is now right behind my keyboard, having a fucking swing at the screen. Is your cat doing jazz paws? Jazz paws? I don't know. I'm. To try and catch can the moth. Can you get magazines full of? Hang on. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> then he's the centerfold. Yeah. Mm, weird. Whatever you do, don't rub that belly. Anyway, moving on. So tonight we are discussing *Beneath the Planet of the Apes*, starring not Charlton Heston, James Franciscus, Kim Hunter, Morris Evans, Linda Harrison, Paul Richards, Victor Bonner, James Gregory, and Charlton Heston. The score by Leonard Rosenman, the script by Paul Dean of Goldfinger fame, and Walt Abrams, and of course, based on the novel by Pierre Boulle, his name I still can't pronounce, directed by Ted Post, and released in 1970. What else do we want to say about this? Ted Post uh, brought in to uh, sort of take over from uh, Schaffner, is it? Schaffner, yeah. Uh, Looking at his um, filmography, the thing that stood out was uh, he's worked with Clint Eastwood a few times. Uh, and that includes a few westerns, uh, but it also all the westerns. It also includes not any other ones we're going to cover, oh. but uh, Magnum Force, which is the second Dirty Harry film, Ooh. and possibly so, the best as well. I'm arguably. I've not. I've only seen the first one, and Dirty Harry's on the list. We're going to cover Dirty Harry. Yeah, I think those two. And I'll be kind of seen the first one. That's all. I, I think it's good, but the first one, I think, is is because it's so different. It's a stone cold classic. It's not a uniform view, but I have heard people say, "Oh, I prefer Magnum Force." It's more action heavy, I think. Magnum Force. I think that's probably why. But but again, it's got it's it's got like a really sort of cool um, plot to it as well, like cool concept. You know, you got like you know vigilantly like mysterious um, police bikers doing vigilantly hits. So it's kind of like yeah, so. Is that aesthetic to it as well? And yeah, he didn't actually make that many films. He made about what am I looking at? About thirteen here, which doesn't sound too bad. But 
you know, we're, we're not talking about an auteur here. We're talking about yeah. somebody who's just works in a range of things. So he did a lot of TV films, which I've not counted in that number. And then he did an awful lot of television shows like yeah. Perry Mason's on there. Um, Columbo is on there. The Twilight Zone is on there. Rawhide. So uh, a decent sort of jobbing work worker, basically, who will have been about early 50s when he made this. Uh, Leonard Rosenman uh, come, came in as uh, cinematographer for this. First thing, two composer. couple of things. Uh, sorry, what did I say? You said cinematographer. No, I meant composer. I'm really sorry. He stands out for two things. He stands out for the Ar- Argos Christmas catalogue score that is Star Trek Four. Argos Christmas catalogue. He also uh, did the animated Lord of the Rings film and Barry Lyndon. The, um, That's where I've heard that name before. Barry Lyndon, the uh, Stanley Kubrick film. Uh, Charlie will know him from other stuff, I'm sure, but that's the that's what stands out to me. And then uh, Milton Krasner came in as cinematographer. I'm sorry, uh, he did win. He doesn't have four Academy Awards like the guy from last week, but he has won for Three Coins in the Fountain. Uh, just to point out, Dave Leonard Rossman also did Robocop Two, which we have covered on the show. Of course. Yes, yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> the better. Well, he was taken over from Basil Polidarus, which is a tough ass. Big shoes to fill. Yeah. yeah. Krasner uh, also did The Seven Year Itch, and obviously that iconic um, scene that, of the great. Uh, that's yeah, the uh, billowing skirt or Indeed. billowing dress that um, Marilyn Monroe, fam- most famous shot of her film yeah. career, anyway. Um, yeah, so I don't, but I'd, I'm not actually sure I've seen the film. If I'm honest, um, it's one of the things you might have seen that iconic shot or that particular image. But yeah, if you don't know, you know, very looking, often you might have just seen that image rather than the film. Just looking at Krasner's filmography, because um, the the few I could name were off the top of my head. But I'm actually looking at his filmography now, and there's several that stand out. He had a very very good career by the look of it. Although this is his final film. He was uh, in his mid-60s around this time. Uh, one of the ones that stands out here is An Affair to Remember, the Cary Grant film that is very heavily referenced in Sleepless in Seattle. Um, so he shot that. Um, I'm not suggesting that's amongst the best films. It's <laughs> very well known amongst people who might be listening to this. Uh, all About uh, Eve stands out as well. All About Eve, yeah. And I'm just, I'm glancing, there's just so much here. There's mm. so much here. Um, and he worked in all genres as well. The Invisible <laughs> Man Returns. Uh, and he, did, he, he basically he worked from 1933 to 1970. So he, he's from early talkies right up to sort of these sort of 70s counter, counterculture films. There you go. He also did the Howard Hawks company Monkey Business, mm. which is good. Monkey yeah. Business is good. It really is. Monkey tennis. So, Monkey tennis. Yeah, yeah, monkey tennis. Uh, it's very cheap. You can film it in the inner cities, <laughs> <laughs> along with inner city sumo. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, that that's really also I wanted to say about the sort supporting crew. It's a complete change from last week. The only other thing I, I would say is obviously we've got a different leading man this week, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Continuity Charlton Heston. Uh, didn't, live to, didn't live to a massive age, this guy. Died at 57 um, in 1991. Um, That's new age. Emphysema. If he's smoking. No. So, serious sort of, you know, being a 
you know, killing a lot of its people young. I mean, it, not the it's Planet of the Apes that did it. Um, I'm looking to see if I've seen him in anything else at all. And I don't recognise anything. Uh, well, there's, there's the Valley of Gwangi, which was a, a, a Ray Harryhausen um, worked on that. And it was about where a cowboy finds a dinosaurs and that kind of thing. Um, which is which is fairly well known if you're kind of like a, a monster fan and that kind of thing. Um, and he did uh, the Cat and Nine Tales, which is one of Dario Argento's horror films, the Italian ones. Right. Okay. Not wildly so, knowledgeable on those. No. I've seen one or yeah, two. So, um, so yeah. Okay. Um, now, a couple of just a couple of minor points that I think would lead us into. The point there is everybody's been replaced and the people they've been replaced with, with with the exception of the leading man, are fairly um, decent craftsmen in their own right. But they're not quite as illustrious and not quite as expensive. And the budget is now down to five point, uh, sorry, four point seven million. So we've got a drop, and we've also got a drop in running time down to ninety-five minutes. Something a little bit perfunctory about this. Yeah, I, th- I think. I mean, to be fair as well, the uh, the producers did try and get Schaffner back, but this was the time when he was making Patton. So he went to it, do it, that. That was the that was the clash. Yes. Yeah, and Jerry Goldsmith, the same thing. He was working on Patton with Schaffner. Not wearing a monkey mask though. Maybe no, he'd, been wearing, he'd, have, he'd have been wearing an American general on his face. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> but we do have some um, returning people. Obviously, Kim Hunter, Morris Evans, uh, and Linda Harrison uh, are back. Uh, Roddy McDowell isn't. Roddy McDowell had a clash as well. Um, and I can't remember what the clash was. Yeah, he was directing a film. Um, oh, it was called Tam Lin. Which was a kind of folk horror film. Okay, have you seen it? No, I haven't. It's also called The Devil's Widow, and it had Ava Gardner and Ian McShane. Oh, um, how about that? I haven't seen it, but I'm going to go and see it now because that looks that, that sounds quite interesting. Sounds pretty good. Okay, so um, they don't start thinking about making this until the first one is a hit, which makes sense. But obviously, this is the only one where there's a year gap in between. But it's still a fairly fast turnaround. Mm. And they start looking at making this and they go to Rod Serling for his ideas. And his ideas don't interest the studio. And then, so what I'm saying is that there feels, certainly in the end result, that there might be a bit of it being rushed. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, they they weren't sure what they they decided they made the they were going to make the film before they decided what the film was going to be. Yeah. Um, Which is common practice now. It's common practice now, but just the turnaround time and so on. Um, and I suppose we'll get into it from there. Charlie, anything you you will sort of add about your history with this film or what you've thought about it? Looking at it, it's not a well thought of film. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, back in the day, there weren't many. Um, there aren't many reviews that would be aggregated on Rotten Tomatoes on older films. But of thirty-two, it's got thirty-eight percent. It's not well thought of. Yeah, no. There's, there's amongst fans, it's usually a a, uh, a fight between this and the last film, Battle 
for Planet of the Apes as to what's the worst in the series. Um, but, I mean, there's the kind of nostalgic side, but I, I can admit that it's not a very good film, but it is a fairly interesting film. And it's it's one of those films where you wonder if kind of the moments in the film that are good and that are interesting, you wonder how much they redeem the rest of the film. I mean, but I think, like you said, because of the, the, the turnaround and trying to figure out exactly what the film was going to be, a fair amount of it does just feel like a straight retread of the the first act of the first film, and uh, and it's not as not until literally an hour into the film uh, where they find the uh, the more remains of New York and the subway station and things that uh, that it finally get, actually starts to get interesting and ends well literally with a bang. Chris Becker, have you seen this before? No, no, it's the first time I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. same. I've never seen this film before until I watched it for this show. Oh yeah, no, it's completely my first time seeing it. Um, yeah. Like, is that the case until the Burton film from now on? Yes. Okay, and you've seen them all. I've yeah, s- I've, s- yeah I've seen or yeah. I've seen the Burton film once, and that that was like on release. I haven't watched that one since. So my memory of it is very is like next it's next nothing soon. That will be like a new watch to me because it's been that long. Um, I watched it again two to three years ago. I'm, I can't remember if it was in the build up to War or when War came out because I've I've got rid of the box set. I've, I've, I'll have to download them, stream them, or whatever for this. But um, I, I did buy like a box set of all of them because uh, I had the, the five on DVD at one point. But then they they produced um, they produced like a box set of all of them uh, after war, and I have a feeling I must I might have watched it in that, but I may have watched it in the build up to war. I'm not sure, but I've seen it twice, and I, I remember thinking it can't be as bad as I remember, and I didn't have a great time with it on the second viewing. But again, it's been a while for me. Uh, for me, all of them from now on I've seen, but I've not seen them often, so I know that next week's, for example, I know what the concept is i know that there's a change from next week and what it is and i can picture the opening uh titles of the film but i don't remember a lot beyond that and and what bits are in conquest and what bits are in escape um and i just remember battle checking out terribly i was just incredibly bored by it um but th- this yeah this was my my second viewing but i think my first would have probably been just after Rise. I reckon that that probably that would have been what probably what stoked enough interest to go and like watch the originals. Mm. So I reckon it's been about nine years, and I watched it. Um, we're recording on Sunday. We missed a week. That's largely because of me, folks. Anyone listening, um, I, I we we couldn't do Sunday, and when we moved it to the week, I. I wasn't available that evening. A bit more to it than that, but we'll leave it at that. Um, so we've missed a week, but it means I watched this on about Monday. We're now on Sunday, and I'm already worrying how much I'm going to remember of it, or whether there just isn't much there. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm worried I'm not remembering much because there isn't much. But I guess we'll find out. Well, I think, yeah, similar to last week, because it, it, there is very light, because even the first half of it is a quick retread of of the first one 
and then you have a bunch of um, kind. Of, it, it almost feels like the, the little elements of like you know of, of the uh, the other sort of Charlton Heston uh, sort of film like Omega Man. The, the, that 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 kind of film. You know, you have like you know telepathic mutants and things like that. It's uh, you know the it, Omega it, Man. To anyone who's not aware, is the same basic story as I Am Legend. I Legend the yeah. Based on a Richard Richard Matheson um, book, uh, Richard Matheson also wrote Somewhere in Time, which was adapted into a film you'll constantly hear me rave about the score to. Anyone listening, because that's a Christopher Reeve film he made uh, between the shoot for sort of Superman and Superman 2 with Jane Seymour from Live and Let Die, which is the last Bond commentary we did. Talking and I, I, I Am Legend was an amazing, is an amazing uh, book. And none, none of the film versions have ever come anywhere close to... I mean, they, they all kind of seem to miss the point, but... I haven't read the books, so I wouldn't know. I've read Somewhere in Time, which is, again, very different yeah. because it's a different hotel he stays in. Um, it's attributable to... He's got a brain tumour in the book. He hasn't in the film. The book's set in 1896. The film is 1912. But, it, you know, so there are differences, but it's it's basically the same story. I Am Legend, I believe they changed the end, ending after, like, test screenings. But I don't know the details. I just yeah, remember I... thinking the, the ending felt incongruous. Yeah, the, 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 there is there is a number of endings. Well, the Will Smith one. Yeah. Yeah, the Will Smith one, I think... I think it... Yeah, there's a number of ones, but they were kind of... They were similar to, like, the original book. The more, the more. There's, 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 there's been no actual ending, as in, because the the book's ending is really powerful, and it's it's kind of, it's where the the well, title. You can te- I was going to say from. you can tell us what the ending is for the book, because we're not a book podcast, so I don't think there's a spoiler <clears> alert on that. And if you're saying the films haven't done the book's ending, providing you don't say what the film's endings are, you can say what it is. Yeah, well, the, the the book basically ends with him being crucified by the vampires, um, and uh, but basically it ends up with a complete role reversal where they crucify him because they're terrified of him, so he's become their boogeyman, and right. their "I am legend" is basically a reference to that, to him passing into their legend. Which is usually that the other makes, way around with us. That makes so much more sense because the the title doesn't make any sense in the film, yeah. but you just accept it because a film comes out and you go, "All right, it's called I Am Legend." Yeah, and the Will Smith one. There's two endings, and one of them says tries to make out that I Am Legend refers to him having some sort of cure or something that helps them all out, and it's just trash. And whatever I mean, Will Smith does decent work in the film. Oh, he's fine. But, yeah, yeah. But, but, and it's well designed as well. Yeah, but as, as soon as they they go past what the actual the actual book ending and decide to, uh, I mean, because Richard Matheson has done so much famous stuff. I mean, he did um, Nightmare at 20,000 feet, the Twilight Zone episode. The original is that the, Sh- is that the Shatner the Sh- one? That's the Shatner one where he's on the plane. And yeah, the well, the, the, the title gave it away. I have seen that. Yeah, one. he did, did a bunch of Roger, with Roger Corman. He did a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe uh, scripts for um, Vincent Price. He uh, he he wrote the original story Jewel, 
and then wrote the screenplay uh, what, a for dual, Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg TV film that uh, over yeah. here we think of it as his first film because it got a cinematic release. Yeah. In America, yeah. it was a TV film and his debut was The Sugarland Express. Um, but it's Dennis, what's Weaver, isn't it? The actor. Dennis Weaver, yeah. I mean, it, he's it's so did... similar to, to Jaws in its way as absolutely, a story. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, if anyone's not seen Jewel before Charlie talks about it, and I welcome it, um, please go and seek it out. It's great. Yeah, it is. It's just an unbelievably good film. And it's kind of, it was, I think originally it was going to be a TV movie and they just decided to release it in the cinemas. And it's but not just, in the States. No, no, just over here. Um, and it's, it's such an immense film. Um, I mean, he even did another of his Twilight Zone episodes was one called Steel, and that was adapted into um, Real Steel. The, uh, uh, the what, one with what, Hugh the, Jackman about the robot Hugh boxing. Jackman film with the yeah, robot boxing. Yeah, yeah. So his his and he did another film, uh, another another book called The Shrinking Man, which was then adapted into a film called The Incredible Shrinking Man. Rainbowland. Which oh no, is, that's the man with the no. X-ray eyes. Sorry. Yeah. No, sorry. Um, with a, a guy called Grant Williams, and uh, no, where he just he he there he's on a vacation with his wife on this boat, and they run into this mist. So yeah, he and he comes back home, and he's his clothes start to get really loose and big and baggy, and it turns out that he's actually shrinking, and no one can tell why. Um, and he ends up living in a doll's house for a bit. Um, as a running with a cat and there's an interesting especially the relationship with his wife there's interesting line on misogyny there as well Um, and and the role of the husband versus the wife and man and woman and then the 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 last the last act is basically where he's so small that he's just been lost in his, his basement and there is a spider that to him is monstrous it's huge and, um, it was a very similar episode of Mork and Mindy till that. Really? Yeah, have you ever seen it? There's an episode where Mork like starts shrinking and he shrinks. To, it's like an allergic reaction to like, I don't know if it's cold medicine or something like that. And he starts shrinking and it's a two part. But he, he does go like some at- subatomic and ends up in like another world. Effectively. Yeah, well, I, I'm guessing that's with that's hilarious that consequences, might well, I add. Well, of course, it has to be with Mork and Mindy. Uh, <laughs> And um, but the, it, I mean the film was came out in 1957, and um, you can get you can get it on Blu-ray, and it's just it's so good, it's just um, it's and it's got really kind of an existential kind of feel to it as well, um, and it's it's just it's one of the best science fiction films ever made. Okay. I suppose, uh, to be honest, I don't mind all that conversation because I've been worried this is going to be really thin. I think we'll be all right with three and four. I mean, I don't know how they'll come out in overall length at the end of the day, but I, I worry about battle. It's a bit like when we did like Tokyo Drift and after all these years of two and three hour episodes, we produced like an hour and 17 minutes, you know, <laughs> and it's like we put that out. And when you edit it, it doesn't feel that short. It's OK. But it's like, oh, my God. But yeah, the, this um, some opening thoughts on this from me first, then I'm not going to say very much because I want to hear from Chris Becker because Becker and so much for a bit. Um, I don't think there's much here. And I think we waste we got quite a lengthy recap of the first the end of the first film before we come into this. 
and then we get a warmed over rehash of pretty much the same film with some of the subtlety gone in the, the you know the, the the apes are kind of a bit warmongering now and conquering and i don't know if that's meant to be a, a satirical comment on the way human society develops over time to become more and more warlike or or that's what the film's trying to say but you've got a leading man who is probably less offensive as an actor than charlton heston but I'm, I'm almost going to steal this from Charlie. Sorry, Charlie, because he did say it off air, but this guy has okay. no presence. Um, and I, I think I might have said that anyway, which is why I feel comfortable saying that, but you can expand on that. Um, well, I think he, it's just he, like not Charlton Heston, isn't it? It's like... No, the, the score... I, I think it hurts him that he looks a bit like him. Mm. So you do feel like you've got the TV spin-off version. Um, you know, a, a bit like when you know fame went from big screen to small screen, you'd have what at wasn't least that why he was cast though, just because he did look a little bit like where he resembled Heston. <laughs> That's Is that just... sort of why he was chosen? Or I, I sort of read that somewhere in an interview, but I may have got that wrong. Um, I, I don't know. No, I'm not an expert. Listeners, if you're uh, a fan, let us know. But apart from that, I just I just find myself getting very bored. And when when the film actually takes sort of a turn into the more interesting in the last, I don't know, maybe Charlie can tell me, but half an hour, let's say, mm. um, I'm missing plot points. There's a couple of not very difficult things I would imagine because it's not that deep a film that I don't fully get. And I think it's because I'm not concentrating very well because I've been bored by a very dull rehash of the first film with some Charlton Heston and very poor visual effects thrown in. And and that's really all I want to say. It, I got on with it a little better just because I remembered it being a train wreck. What it actually is, is a cheaper, far, far blander um, Planet of the Apes film. And as such, it's kind of a bit boring. And that's really all I want to say on it. At yeah, this point, I don't think it helps. Is that you know the actual script requires more special effects because the the first one, um, it you know it 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 it's made in a way in which like you don't have to well you know apart from like the uh, the you know, the the ape costumes, you don't have to rely on too great a deal on on special effects too much. Whereas here you got like big force fields and mirage fire yeah, yeah and 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 on, on top of that you got massive gun battles and 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 whatnot so the you're gonna have like an you have to have an increased budget um which is like whereas the other one you can kind of you can just let the the story tell you know do do the work really for you that's um, counterbalanced though chris by the fact that they've reused some both shots yeah. and um well, firstly, the running time is, is less, so you are doing less, unless there's a massive amount on the cutting room floor. But also, there are reuses of a couple of establishing shots, and they're reusing sets from the first film. Mm. So that what you're saying is accurate, but there is an offset against that. Yeah, it's just, it's just one of the, the thoughts that I had, really, just that, you know, it was... You know, it, it, it seemed to sort of, like, require... A, a much, a much like bigger budget, and a, and a much bi- um, more visual flair. Whereas I don't think, I, I don't know the I don't know the budget. Was was it higher budget this this 4. week? Four point seven. It's lower. 
So um, yeah, you got a lower budget. It's about to drop massively, but without giving it away, that matters less with next week's film anyway. Um, but they are about to drop again, and and the reason for where the series goes is partly the end of this film, but also you can do mm. things cheaper, and we'll explain that next week. But um, it is lower. Last week's was kind of closer to the six million mark, so it's lost about it's lost about a fifth of its budget. Mm. I think as as well, you kind of have to remember that at this time the sequels were kind of like afterthoughts. Um, so it's like you think of now and you think of how when a film is successful and there's a sequel, they put all of the money into it. And it's usually got a bigger budget and blah, 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 blah. But I think here it was just like, let's see what we can make off it. But they didn't want to kind of, because the risk was there. Yeah, so like, so basically the... You know, sequels weren't weren't really thought of, so maybe there was less thought gone into it. Or, well, yeah, uh, not not necessarily thought, but I guess just kind of more, uh, even more of a kind of experimentation. And yeah, be- again, because because a lot of the time the the idea uh, from uh, certainly the studios and that kind of thing was the idea that with with a sequel, people just wanted to see the same thing again. Mm. Um, which is potentially why so much of it is so similar to the original film. Um, but again, it's, it's one of the reasons that the Planet of the Apes really kind of changed the landscape for, uh, for, for film and franchise films as well. What do you make of it, Charlie? Um, it's, I think for an hour, it's boring, really boring. Um, I mean, I've seen it loads of times. Anyway, um, but today I was watching it and um, I got up several times and did housework while I was watching it because I just wasn't that interested in it. But again, that's this is the stuff where it's just a carbon copy of what happened in Planet of the Apes. They goes and sees Zira and then they, they get captured and then they escape and then they go off and they, uh, they find the Forbidden Zone. And it's only when they get to the Forbidden Zone and they start exploring the stuff that we only saw a tiny bit of in the previous film that the film actually starts getting interesting. And um, and you, well, you actually... There's an establishing model. It is a very obvious model. Um, but there's an establishing shot of a destroyed city. Yeah. Which tells you they're in sort of New York State, basically, I think. I think yeah. it was New York. I can't really remember. Yeah, but the, he finds the um, he finds the sign as well on the subway line. That's right. Sorry, yes. And I looked that, I, I looked that up because I'm not that au fait with the subway, and it was from the New York subway system. Yeah. So um, they are in New York State. One assumes, unless he's walked for like months. So um, that's kind of interesting, I suppose. That it's sort of really playing up the sort of Armageddon aspect. Absolutely, and. Uh... And again, it's it's when the kind of the the kind of the mutants come in and all that kind of thing, and the bomb and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, this is stuff that, that Paul Dane apparently, um, when he came on, really uh, was was really conscious to put in because of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, 
I mean, he he wrote a poem, a book of poems, uh, that was published um, about war uh, and about um, atomic destruction. Okay. And uh, that kind of thing. So, um, and and certainly as well, Vietnam, because there's 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 the scene uh, where they're off on their march, and the chimpanzees are all protesting. Um, okay. And that's 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 straight out of Vietnam. Yes. Um, so it's it's it, that's and again that's the stuff that kind of makes the film interesting is is where these political and social things come in both purposely and just as a as a uh, as a byproduct of when it was made chris what did you make of it um yeah i mean it's it's kind of similar because that was my main takeaway was it seemed to be very more comment on nuclear war but i suppose it's uh on the button with that uh pun intended um it yeah it's i, I think um you know what what everyone's kind of said is kind of right. It 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 it's kind of a bit yeah. So what? A bit of a rehash in the first half. Uh, you have like you know not Charlton Heston, kind of sort of almost like sort of catching up in in double speed with like what everything what's happened. What there's a planet of apes and like what we know and you know, oh my god it's it's another one he can talk you know and all, and all this and yeah and and he escapes. And he's only got one guy who who, who dies and and that, um, but then it starts to sort of go a bit like yeah, fuck it, you know, it's like no, there's there's mutants who who, who can tell about. There's a big fuck off nuclear bomb there, you know, and it's it's it kind of like it kind of runs with a lot of ideas. I remember sort of, um, so again, I I, I watched this like that must have been about a week ago now. Uh, we, um, so my my memory of it's going, but yeah, it it, see, it it seemed to kind of like make a comment on uh, religion, nuclear war, uh, more, a, a lot more. Uh, uh, but yeah, it, it, it yeah yeah, I was kind of astounded because it, it kind of started to get a bit. All right, well, this is kind of getting a bit interesting a bit you know sort of playing with ideas and the ending is just uh and everyone dies <laughs> i just thought great <laughs> it, it kind of reminded me of um of, of the of, of the thing you sort of say just to like kind of like end the story you don't know how to end it you just go like and then yeah and they, they died. all went over to <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 just, I just, I just love the idea of like of building up this big climactic cliffhanger. It's like, oh my god, and what happens next? And then everyone dies. <laughs> the end. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of, it, it, it's a bit of an odd box, really. I don't know. I, I, it, in some, in some regards, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not something that I would rush to watch again. But I. You know, it, it was watchable, especially in the in the last part. But again, like like Charlie said, it's not a, a good film, but it's you know it has it has interesting stuff in it. Um, but you know, it's not entirely terrible. You know, it's it's watchable. Like you know, especially in the last half. Uh, you know, you, you you know you got like you know telepathic, you know, cell fights and shit. So. <laughs> Becca? 
dear oh dear um where do i start um no i think this is oh i feel a ranting coming <laughs> no uh, this is why i'm so glad that we have charlie on on the show especially for for the series as well um Tony was obviously a big fan of the series obviously as we kind of mentioned at the top of the show like neither myself nor chris have kind of obviously we've seen the original and obviously seen the the burton remake but like neither of us have seen like the original series um and yeah, every every time you know we go through and, and watch these films um it'll be you know the first time watching them for for the show um so it's kind of why i'm really glad that we do have obviously dave is very knowledgeable about the films um and charlie I'm also so that, wildly, yeah. <laughs> well you, you know you've both you both you know seen them before and you know a bit about them um that's putting it mildly um so i kind yeah, of feel... in the land of the blind yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, know, you, you go into kind of like the production and any kind of behind the scenes information things like that basically with the film this dull i'm grateful that we have charlie <laughs> Dave as well so i can learn more about more about this film and what it's trying to say what it's trying to do and even though it kind of falls flat on its face um the ending is is quite prophetic um and in kind of like the, in the scope of the original series it kind of means quite a lot um it's commentary on, on nuclear war and kind of how, especially kind of going into, you know, sort of the counterculture type movies into kind of this, this um, late 60s, early 70s, and how there was, you know, the well, from America, definitely the finger was poised on that button uh, that went well into the 1980s, um, a sort of threat of nuclear war. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, like yourselves, I was, I've, I kind of felt the whole, like the middle section of this film could easily be chopped out and literally it could be like just an hour for example, um, even though it's got quite a fairly short runtime, an hour and a half, um, not a lot happens. Um, the first part of the film is just basically a rehash of of the first film, um, and then kind of things really get interesting till we get underneath and we kind of learn about the mutants and and the warhead and all the rest of it as well. Um, and then there's a little bit of skirmish with between not Charlton Heston and Charlton Heston at the end, and that just ends. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I very grateful that we have Charlie who's more knowledgeable and can tell us you know about these things um kind of how the film was made and what kind of you know what kind of behind the scenes tidbits of information which make it all the more interesting because I unfortunately I found this film really dull really boring um but you know having seen it a couple of times now and known a little bit more about you know behind the scenes and kind of what it's saying I've got a little bit more appreciation for it but still yeah I would have to agree with you guys and not very much happens Toward, you know, to, only towards the end, the conclusion. Um, See, so yeah, I, I really did struggle with my first viewing, and it's, I, you know, I kind of forced myself to kind of watch it again, and was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But I would also agree with Dave's point, where like there are some parts where if you're not paying attention, it can be easily missed, and they're not terribly difficult concepts. But with this film that's quite dull and plodding, you really do have to kind of tune yourself in. So I, I would agree. Um, so I didn't have a good time with this film, but I think probably when I see the others and kind of watch it in in context with this original series i'll probably have a deeper understanding of it than i did this time i I don't think so in some respects in that it does link to where we go next week but it it, not only is it hurt by being not great let's be honest um but it falls between the first one which is iconic for all the reasons we talked about last week and the next one which takes the series in a different direction and i have to say three and four are my favorites so okay. my favourites of the original five. So this is kind of like, this is kind of watered down Planet of the Apes before we go in a new and fresh direction. 
Yeah, it's kind of like previously on Planet of the Apes. This is, you know, it sort does of happened, play yeah. a little bit. I mean, not not with not with the Taylor stuff, and no. not not with. There are things in this film that wouldn't fit with that, but in the whole idea of rehashing it with a similar-looking guy at double speed, like Chris said, it is like almost they've decided to retool the show for t- uh, the film for a TV show. It does seem very much and like for a TV kind of audience. Like this is kind of could have been a one-hour pilot for it. Yeah, where it's just kind go, of like just a, here you know, is, sort of here is the Taylor on TV, if you like, and here's the first episode. But here's, here's the thing: when when we're thinking about it, because I did, I did one, one of the th- one of the things I did think about was when it came to like say the the, the last half or that last third. Things have seemed to escalate it in a completely different direction. And it's so much so that you think, how the fuck did we get here? <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? Like I was thinking, well, if this was a TV show, like this would be like. Like third or fourth season in, you know, like from yes. from yeah, that's <laughs> you know what I mean? like it would be a little bit like that. It's like, hang on, what what there's mutants and what what what's going on? Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it 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 seems to kind of like gone um, done way too much way quickly to kind of like I mean, but but at the same time, I kind of like that wacky idea. Um, but one of the, one of the things I did pick up on was I remember was the when the mutants are singing the hymns, they they sing um. All creatures, right and wonderful, don't they? But not the actual tune. They sing no, they sort it like of off key a little bit. This, and I was like, thinking, yeah, they change words. And, I'm, yeah. and I and I, and I was like thinking, why why has it done why has it done that? Is that like some sort of well? I thought is that lazy or is that just a bit random? But I thought actually no, that makes sense because they probably got the lyrics from it, but probably don't know what the, the actual or what music was because there's there's no memory or recording of it, so they probably made their own. Or it's like a, like a it's like a random melody. And I thought, oh, that's just some thought gone into that. Uh, possibly, maybe I'm maybe I'm like you know giving it praise that it doesn't deserve. I don't know, but it was a thought that maybe there was some thought into like how the mutants developed because they kind of worship at the altar of the nuclear weapon. Because, no, no. go. On. Sorry, no, no, no. That that's pretty much it. it. Just just seems to be that's how time kind of, uh, as 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 altered things. You know, it's like uh, you know, you know, only only fragments of what's happened and what of and what they left and what they actually understand of the world is 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 what they worship. Because it's like, oh, what's all we have? So, oh, okay, we'll worship this. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything's tied to the bomb, so it's it's kind of yeah, we're we're gonna all our religion has has been kind of perverted to such a degree that it is just all centered around worshiping this this atomic bomb. Mm. Um, and uh, and so yeah, so I'm guessing I don't know if if they had the song and then just decided to change the lyrics. I mean, I guess it's just put in there. Um, probably by Paul Dane to uh, to just be something that's, that's a bit kind of sly and, and a bit satiric and also maybe a, uh, a bit eerie as well. But a thing on religion as well and how people of religion use their agenda to, and use the agenda to fit use use um, use the Bible to fit their agenda and they twist it twist the words. 
And that's yeah. something that's particularly relevant. In the yeah, so it's like last week. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, things are always relevant. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's I think that's what kind of what we do, isn't it? Really, we kind of we use whatever agenda, whatever it is, you know, whatever our like belief system is. Um, yeah, not not even religion, really. It's um, it's you know, we all like have this sort of core belief, and uh, you know, we always tend to sense it. There's always, especially in groups as well, we always have a tendency to um, manipulate our belief. Definitely. Should we get into this film sequentially, folks? Yes. I think oh, that's about five fucking minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, you can skip most of it, but well, we talked about that last week. Yeah, we'll, well skip to like, yeah, the middle I mean, the point of this film. Several, I mean, I kept doing time checks, but like I say, although I've got a good memory, six days ago on a film that I don't find wildly memorable and I've now forgotten, but there was a lengthy redux of showing... The, the last sort of scene of yeah. the film, but it's all the way back to when they sort of come out of the cave mm. so it, it's quite a long bit yeah, um, they, yeah. I, think, I think they, I think they I, kind of edit little bits it, it still seems quite a few minutes Yeah. Uh, do we stay with Taylor that's right we stay with them into new scenes where um where he's basically talking to Nova about starting a family and stuff, which again yeah. creeps me out very slightly. I'm trying, trying to teach her to talk. Yeah, Nova. Um, yeah, literally. Definitely. And then, um, and yeah, and then basically they're riding sort of towards the sort of the or into the forbidden zone, which is where they were going to go. And then suddenly there's a wall of fire and Taylor literally disappears, literally fades into, like, nothing. Yeah, and he sort of... He goes to investigate and then just sort of, like, falls in it. Yes. And And that's it for the Taylor story until, what, last 20 minutes? Yeah, yeah. He's in it for, like, sort of... Yeah, 20 minutes or something, isn't it? And that's... And that's uh, Charlton Heston, so... uh, Then... If only there was another Charlton Heston we could be going along Not with. Not Charlton Heston. Fake Charlton Heston. Lookalike. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so Nova kind of goes, <gasps> runs off, tries to find... Um, where she go? Is she, is she just sort of like, just just, just randomly runs off, or is she, or is she deliberately going to um, back to... Uh, back to the well, the apes really. Back yeah, I think she goes to to find Cornelius and Zira. Yes, Cornelius played by somebody different this week. Forgot yeah. his name. David Watson, someone like that. Yeah, he like, seems like a completely different person, like literally. Well, he literally is, but it literally is, even, but it... he doesn't really even remind me of Roddy McDowell. No, I just thought he's completely different character. I was just like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, to start, if she wasn't calling him by his name, you'd just assume she's remarried, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think, hold on a minute. So, but no, I, I did sort of think it's interpretation of, well, not, not that I'm an expert or anything, but I think it just seems like he was playing a different character, just to me anyway. Mm-hmm. But that's just my opinion, that's probably wrong, but never mind. But I, I found it quite entertaining. So, uh, yeah, so then we have um, not Charlton Heston in, in another spaceship and another 
This Dying. doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know, because when we watched the first film, Charlton Heston, before he goes into um, deep sleep, already knows that, like, it's at that point, 700 years later on Earth. Yeah. So they set off before knowing to uh, knowing that there's time dilation, right? Now, I, I stress that only because it isn't like they were moving in normal time, go into deep sleep and then go through some wormhole, time hole or whatever. Even if they did do that, they were already going to be hundreds of years in the future. So why do you send someone to look for him? I mean, firstly, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. But secondly, if you find him and bring him back, and, and it was only that 700 years, you'd be 1,400 years in the future at least, if not 2,100, because he's got to get there, find him and get back. And as it turns out, it's over 2,000 years anyway. And again, so, so they, they it doesn't make any sense. It, that screams make anything up for a sequel yeah and they they retcon it so it is some sort of um distortion or phenomenon space phenomenon that makes them go fast that far into the future as opposed to just doing it because you are actually exploring yeah yeah so it's like yeah and he comes at exactly the right time yeah just a few weeks after or whatever it is and um, his mate dies. Yeah, skipper. Yeah. Which which, which is the most um, uh, sort of what's the psychic name ever, isn't it? Well, presumably, uh, his, if he's skipper, he's his captain. Oh well, yeah, true. It could be that. It could be that. Yeah. Yeah. But I never really thought of that. I, I went the same way as Chris. It's like, oh, you can't be bothered with the fucking characters this time, can you? Isn't that like, like a kind of lassie dog? dog? Sounds like it. Yeah. Um, I think it's Flipper as well. So, uh, yeah, so this character's called Brent, which makes me constantly think of The Office. He's like, oh, same, same. He lands and he's like, 39.55. That's backfired, isn't it? <laughs> I'm performing how I want to perform. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it immediately runs into Nova, and it's like, it, yeah. I mean, you know how big the States is, and how big, like, some of the states, some of the states within the United States is. You know what I mean? And it's like, he, he bumps straight into Nova. Yeah, it's like, I've all, I've all, yeah. It's, it, logically, they would, they would like. He's gone there, right? He's gone out into space to find Taylor. Immediately lands on the right planet, quote unquote, in the right, right era, place, and immediately bumps into. This is like this is the like, right place um, as well. Like you could end up on the other side of the fucking world. <laughs> this this is like this is like Kirk Bock. It was bumping into Spock in the ice cave in the two thousand and nine Star Trek. This is like what were the chances? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so it bumps into Nova, um, and yeah, no, notice that like he's wearing um, dog tags. Yeah, which uh, is, again is handy that he gave her them because hmm. he seemed to be trying to. I mean, this guy was quite ambitious. He he couldn't get her to say Nova. But he was hoping to get her to read at the same time off a fucking dog tag. 
But that, like, I think that's why he was. Um, I think that's why he was. Um, uh, get why she's got them. I think that's why. I think it was to do with his name being uh, embossed yeah. on them. But there you go. So um, he's now they they now become like not a couple per se, but he's effectively stepped straight into like the gap Taylor has like left, and they head off to like Ape City. Yeah, so go back to once they came to find um, Kira and uh, Cornelius. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so basically the gorilla, the gorillas are basically sort of like uh, are off the back of what's happened. Like they're, they're going, no, we need to go into the Fibber Zone and, and um, basically create war. You know, we're just going to sort of, you know, wipe them out because they're a threat. So they're like lead, yeah. they're like they're like leading leading the surge, uh, and Kira's being not being too thrilled by not standing up, even though she's told to, because otherwise she she'd be executed for not being. Um, I, I suppose patriotic is the word, I guess, but for yeah, for disobedience. So. Yeah, and then so they, they obviously they, they go back and you know Nova and Brent just sort of managed to sneak in, and they're like, "Oh my god, you found another one! <laughs> another one who could talk. Can talk. Another can talk. I, I just thought because when she sees them, I mean, it might be a bit of a comment on racism there, in that like humans all look the same to, to them, sort mm. of." But she sees him and sort of says, Taylor, when Zira sees him. And it's like, yeah, the audience has thought that as well, to be fair. <laughs> I think we all thought the same. I was like, hold on a minute. I've seen you before. <laughs> it looks familiar somehow. Hmm. <laughs> Is that your Charlton Heston impression, Becca? No. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't do. <laughs> so yeah, so that so they're with uh, Cornelius and uh, Kira. So uh, what happens next? I just think we're going to struggle with the next forty-five minutes of the film because what happens next? We should see, we skip? Should we, we just kind of skip how, through? Well, we see how much more militaristic they seem than in the first film, and I just think mm. it's it's just a blunter film. It's not as well written. Yeah, um, I mean, you've got you've got someone here. That's kind of taking over from Doctor Zeus and leading the gorillas, Ursus. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I wonder if we there. sort of see a more, yeah, see the more militant side, and we kind of see more about the hierarchy and structure of like ape societies, for example. So I don't know. Yeah, so you've got you've got because the, the gorillas are generally regarded uh, as being kind of stupid and very because of that very kind of warmongering. Um, so. When uh, so when they show up to see Zero and Cornelius, the, the Brent and Nova, then they ask for some food and a map to find out where exactly they're uh, they're, they're supposed to go, and then they get captured. <gasps> and then they Zero says, "Make sure you don't talk," because she says, they'll dissect you and they'll kill you in that order. Mm. Yeah, that like maybe went. I was like. Individual bits like that play really well. 
Yeah. It's a shame yeah. the whole film taken, isn't like that. They've, they've built on the right things from the first film there in that, yes, him being arrested is a rehash, but they do call it out by sort of saying, well, we had a guy in your position, he spoke, and it was the worst thing he could have done. Yeah. And then uh, they all, all the... Sorry, Carl. No, you carry on. I was about to ask a question, but I think you're about to answer it, so carry on. Yeah, so um, they get captured, uh, and they say they're going to be used for target practice. And you see, you have a montage of all the apes, all the um, the gorillas with bayonets and stuff, and just being generally kind of aggressive. And um, then you, they kind of are being taken away in this wagon. And obviously, ape security is incredibly lax because Zero is there with a key and says, Oh, I just need to make sure it's actually locked properly. And then yeah. just unlocks yeah, the back. wagon is like worst unlock- security ever. Unlocks the back of the cage. And uh, and they're off again. And they put him into Charlton Heston's loincloth. <laughs> Someone, <laughs> presumably. Um, so he, they're off to do the Forbidden Zone. And you've got Dr. Zayas and the gorillas who are they say they can't inte- there's some intelligence in their forbidden zone somewhere that can possibly be a threat to them so they march off to there to uh, to confront that th- that threat but again you can you can read things into this film that i don't know if they're there or not but they fit they fit the era of the film in the there's a comment here on the sort of the preemptive strike, isn't there? Yeah. And and the whole idea, and, and at that time, there were spheres of influence. There were, you know, areas that were effectively under the USSR and, and, you know, areas that were sort of under the United States and then sort of disputed areas where the United States wouldn't allow communism to, you know, and, and felt the need to get involved in stuff. And the rights and wrongs of that can be debated. But whether that's a point this film is making... I don't know, or that they just need a plot, but it certainly fits the era the film comes from. And at this point, America is bogged down in Vietnam, where they just did not need to get involved. Exactly. And uh, where, where you say there's the scene uh, where the, the chimpanzees are all there um, protesting about the uh, aggression of the gorillas. And <laughs> Dr. Zayas just kind of says, yeah, okay, quietly go and take them all out. So then they get yeah, all beaten up. Yeah, it's not, just like, no, it's not just like move them along. It's just like, yeah, just take them aside and execute them. Yeah, I found that a bit brutal. I kind of thought, well, obviously this, this film, I think, you know, the series is obviously making commentaries on, like, Vietnam um, and sort of the race to for, for nuclear war, things like that as well. And I kind of felt like this this was a scene, it could have had a lot more impact. I mean, it was quite brutal, like, the way that he dealt with the students. I sort of felt like this was like the one chance to have a commentary and and it, you know I kind of felt like it could have been more than what it was I mean it was still, it was still you know still a, still a commentary on the situation at the time but I kind of felt oh, it could be more so I was a little bit disappointed with the scene unfortunately well I mean at the time I think people are certainly being very careful about what they say I oh, mean, of course, yeah, definitely. Just, just I mean, while the film was being made in in 1969, um, there was a place called People's Park in, in Berkeley, mm-hmm. um, which was created really because of all the people protesting. Um, Hence People's Park. Yeah. 
Exactly. And um, Ronald Reagan had kind of criticised them and um, was was saying that all the kind of people there were communists and, and that kind of thing. So um, they were having rallies and things like that. And they, they weren't just this Vietnam stuff, but there was also stuff that was going on with in the in the Middle East as well. Um, and uh, there was so there was a lot of violence against protesters, and and one guy um, was shot and killed. Um, and I think it was like it was in the middle of 1969. Mm-hmm. Um, so all this kind of stuff was was really going on. Going on at the time. Exactly going on at the time, um, and because uh, they they had a point where they they flew helicopters over the park. Um, dispensing tear gas on the protesters um, and, and kind of just the kind of crazy stuff that they were doing against these people that were trying to call out um, stuff that was happening at that time because um, there was also at the same time the My Lai massacre which was just horrendous and one of the, the main biggest the atrocities that happened in the war mm-hmm. um, I mean that, and that happened in, 19, in uh, 1968 um, so again this, all this stuff that's kind of that's, that's really going on and it is being protested and so I think I think this is probably Paul Dane again um, really kind of trying to pull at least pull some of that into into the film um which would get even more politically charged in the in the next couple of films i was say i think we'll see it more kind of like in the third and fourth film definitely just just from the trailer footage that i've seen but i kind of felt like it was i mean obviously you know it's quite important that we do see sort of like student protests and things like that but i just kind of felt like it was a bit watered down a little bit yeah. considering everything that's going on at the time so now i do appreciate um like for example, the the scene where the, the mutants are unmasked at the end. Um, obviously, there is a, a fair degree of censorship there as well, um, especially when something is so sensitive. Um, and even though it's happening on an alien planet, it's so that sounds really bad, but I don't mean like that at all. Um, it a planet that's not Earth. <laughs> no, it is Earth. <laughs> but, but it is Earth. <laughs> that's, that's the point. Um, did no, did exactly. you watch last week's film? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Um, well, it's oh, they've got that chance. It's, it's, what, what you know what I mean? it's, it's very close to home, is what I'm trying to say. It's I mean, it's just a mere coincidence that you have, like, you know, actually, Becca did know it was Earth. I think what you're trying to say is it's not. Oh, it was Earth all along. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, but it's not. It's, it's not our different. experience. Exactly. It's moved yeah. on. Yeah, to, to, to us, it kind of seems. Yeah, thank you. Help me backtrack. Um, there's just things when you're, when you're reading an article about the film and you're having to pick up the words. Um, yeah, it just kind of feels like where it is so far removed, but it's still like a, a commentary as well. But I say I do think, even though we see a snapshot of it here, and then it kind of obviously goes on to be a commentary on, on sort of threat of nuclear, um, nuclear war. Um, I'm trying to pronounce that probably because I'm one of these people who will pronounce it incorrectly. Um, Annihilation, uh, towards the end of the film. Um, but it seems to me that, obviously the first the first film as well, and the sort of like the third and fourth are kind of more, I don't know, more politically charged, shall we say. But I, I don't know. We'll, I'll find that out when I come to watch it. Okay, where do we want to go from from here in plot? Is there much more we want to talk about before we get to the good stuff? No, it's just they they kind of they get 
to the uh, the forbidden zone before the gorillas. We don't really then... what happens to uh, Kira and Kalinius, though, do we? After after this, do, 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 do I remember right? We don't you, see him uh, after this. Uh, well, uh, yeah, you you know what I'm struggling to decide whether to say, Charlie, or don't you? Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I know it gets explained next week, but I don't think in in terms of this this film we see we find, we see what happens, do we? We don't know what. Well, there's, 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 to be honest, there's not, there's not a huge amount of room for them because this is very kind of militarized, mm. and because the, because you've got the guerrillas rampage, um, and it, it's kind of because of all of that, they kind of they wouldn't be there with the, with the guerrillas because of the how chimpanzees are kind of seen again because shown by the approaches and stuff as kind of very pacifistic as opposed to the the guerrillas. So yeah, there's kind of it's it's because because of the nature of of of, of the plot, um, then they've kind of been not, and again because it's not Roddy McDowell. I don't know how much of that was down to giving him kind of minimum scenes as well. Um, I mean, what one scene that that interests me? It's that like I, Mike McFly's dad, isn't it? <laughs> the what? It's like Mike Mike McFly's dad in Back to the Future Two. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Sorry, yeah. 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 Shoot so, him in a load of makeup upside down, and it's Jeffrey Weissman who can sort of do a vocal impression. And then, but but have a little bit as possible for anyone notices. Yeah, and get sued. And then get sued in that case, yeah, because they, they did actually use Crispin Glover without his permission in like yeah. uh, shots repurposed from the first film. Uh, there, was, there was one thing I wanted to point out, which I thought was quite interesting when they uh, when they get when the gorillas get to the forbidden zone and they see. All the, uh, the all the um, visions, illusions, mm. and then you see the lawgiver statue bleeding, um, and you see all the fire and all of the, the all of these gorillas that are supposedly captured, um, hanging upside down and being burnt to death, which is quite a powerful. Um, and again, it's something that that a comment on religion and how really how religious iconography is used as suggestion on people's minds. Um, Say that again, sorry. How re- how religious iconography um, and imagery is used um, as a way to influence people's minds. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, for all intents and purposes, those gorillas were being crucified. Yeah. Still, still, still a bit of a giveaway well, to the though, like isn't it? Because like if you see, if you see that thing, oh for, holy shit, that's definitely not real. Because I'm seeing the statue bleed. That I've seen the statue that wasn't there before. Yeah, but the, the, these are people that have seen people yeah. falling from the sky that can talk. I know I'm being flippant. I'm sort of gag. Yeah. yeah. So and, and yeah, so it's kind of it, it's just to, to see their religion being used in a, in a blasphemous way. Um, and uh, and the response to it was really interesting. And again, putting the then putting the divide between the gorillas and the orangutans by Doctor Zeus figuring out that it is an illusion. Mm. So then we uh, go in and we find out that the uh, there's a, a giant cathedral under the under the water under the water. Yeah, Sorry. they, 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 they find like an old subway station, don't they? 
Yeah, and then a giant cathedral under the ground, to say. Um, yeah. In the New York Cathedral. And the, the sets are really good. We've got a, we do, the set of the subway is very good because it just evokes a subway that's kind of mm. fallen apart. But also, we, we did have that establishing shot of the, the city. So it, yeah. it destroyed New York. So Because that cathedral was a set as well. Yeah, and it, it really does. I mean, it's all retrospective because I don't think they had this in mind when they made the first one. But it really outlines why Zaius didn't want apes and going into this region because yeah. it just it would give too much away. You're not. I I thought that you know when they got there it would look like Death Valley or something, and when they got there, no, it's the remnants of our society. You couldn't have shown that in the first film accept as a replacement for the reveal of the um statue of liberty at the end that that's the only way you could have done it because it just would have given too much away but that that's why it just shows you what ignorance the apes are being held in yeah and then it introduces the mutants or these guys who are apparently there i i need this bit explained when i said it at the start of the film uh, or the start of the recording, I think I said it on here, that there are bits towards the end of the film that I don't think are remotely difficult. I just think my attention span drifts, even though this is the best bit of the film. Mm. Um, and very basic things I don't get. And what I mean by that is the mutation, because I took it on trust that, well, I suppose it's in the aftermath of a nuclear war. So, yeah, they've mutated and then learned how to cover that with effectively prosthetics in our vernacular, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, masks, whatever you want to call them. But then it occurred to me, hang on a minute, you've got human beings, you've got apes. They're, they're not all mutated, unless that's what's mutated the apes into a higher being. But they, they certainly don't have like skin falling off and look almost like lizards. So I thought, it, are they mutated because they're so close to this bomb? Or are they mutated from an, an Armageddon that took place somewhere between taylor leaving earth and this era do you know charlie well i I kind of took it that that it was just generally from the fallout of the city Mm. um because i guess the the thought is they've probably grown up in that they were born in that probably born in that city in that city born underground so they were probably born to uh to be from people who already had that disease from the fallout i mean because i mean presumably i don't know i don't know how many of them actually go outside yeah i mean i guess so and it is in a different area and you don't know what the fallout yeah. i mean there's, like. there's holes you can poke in but, but i'm not really looking to i'm just getting no, to no. a point where i'm like did i miss something it's entirely possible i did and it's so yeah. it sounds like i didn't but there are a couple of ways you could explain this that would leave you probably going, yeah, okay, that's all right. Yeah. So the reveal, what this film has the luxury of doing is giving Brent his reveal at the start of Act 3, not the end of it. Mm. Because we, the audience, already know. So we do have an act of him coming to terms with it. But like Chris says, that still leaves two acts where we've just rehashed the first film. Yeah. It's kind of like, I guess, in in terms of the risk for this film being made, it's kind of having your cake and eat it. So you've got the first two acts that are reminiscent as much as they can be of the first film and what people expect. 
and then you do a 180 mm. in the last act and you yeah. say okay you've had your fun we're going to have ours absolutely and we're going to do that by introducing mutants that look like humans and again i don't know if it's making a point because we what we sat and we watched planet of the apes where the apes have been corrupted by sort of the interplay of it is basically the merging of uh, church and state yeah and this is american film and it's constitutionally sort of mandated that you don't have that i mean in british schools for example unless you get an exemption we have to like pray and stuff even though we're not a particularly religious country compared to the united states who are not allowed to do that so um it, this is what happens when you mix church and state whether they've whether they meant to say that i don't know but we've we've gone that like the more that they've advanced the more they've regressed as a society and then this week we meet the sort of human survivors and actually they've become this sort of weird religious cult in and of themselves yeah absolutely um and i mean it's it reminds me of christmas christmas talking about earlier where where they where they sing um all creatures great and small yeah now that was him that was sung every time in the school i went to um in in the, the, the primary school at least yeah. Um, and again, we, we it wasn't a religious school. It wasn't a school where we were asked to go and pray. No, it's a strange irony like of it's a strange irony of British schools that they put. I don't know if it still is, but it was in the put in the national curriculum around the time Charlie and I would have went to school. That yeah. there had to be an act of worship every day, right in school. And yet, I promise, because I know we got quite a lot of North American listeners, I promise you, we are nothing like as religious a nation as you are. We're just not. That's not to say the person listening is religious, but it permeates your society, your values and everything so much more. We are a very secular society and yet it's mandated in our schools. Yeah. And yeah, my my, my kids still, um, they do hymns in primary, well, my, my daughter does hymns in primary school. Right. So it's and, still there. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of half and half on it really, to be honest with you, but even without getting into that yeah so that so it's kind of that permeation of, of religion that's there and again i guess it is a comment on religion and how it evolves as we do um and also and but obviously here the um the religion has evolved to worship a brand new deity, in this case, a atomic bomb. Yeah. Um, what do they think it is? Do they think it's a bomb? I can't remember. This is what I'm saying. There's bits in the last yeah, act. They, they know it's if, a bomb. If I'd enjoyed the first two acts, I'd have breezed through this because I fully understand that there is nothing difficult here. But there's just details that I suddenly go, did I miss that? And because I've not really enjoyed the film, I go, I'll just leave it. I'll ask Charlie. <laughs> yeah, because they, yeah, they, 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 no, they know it's a bomb because they, they know that they, they, if, if they get taken over, they can blow it up. And there is kind of religious stuff going on where they talk about And they talk about it being pe- a pe- an act of peace. 
Yeah, because there were the idea of oh, we don't heart like yeah, like the uh, the image of we, we, yeah yeah it's like oh we we don't kill anyone we we, we get people to come. <laughs> it's like, all right, so that, you do. Yeah, we we haven't really mentioned that. That's I don't think that's what the mirages are all around about. You drive people crazy and they do what you can or they fight each other. I mean, Taylor and Brent have a fight at one point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah no, I no, think... say we're, 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 we're peaceful people. We, we, we don't, you know, we, we don't like, we, we don't actively kill, kill anyone. We, we get, yeah. we, we, we get them to do it themselves. You know, it's, uh, it's like, well, you, you, you kind of, but I, th- I think it's like whatever their reality is, it's like to them, it's like the, the bomb, you know, it, 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 it it's it's ha- it, it, it it's an odd thing to really explain out loud, but it's like it's it's the how you see, God. it's how you see the world. It's like to them, you know, that is that is absolutely perfectly logical. It's like well, we we don't actively do that, you know. Well, to to, to them, the the atomic bomb is is their creator, is their mm. God. They yeah. are like that because of the bomb. That is who they are that now. Makes sense. Their big banger, yes. Yeah, in their in their state. Well, yeah, the, the creation myth, in their state of evolution. Um, so I mean, I, I don't know how much we've mentioned that they're telepathic as well. Mm. So when Brent first meets them, he uh, he ans- he we hear his answers, but we don't hear their questions because he's taught they're taught they're asking him questions in his mind, and it's only until they said they kind of figure out that talk about him as if he's stupid and he can only they have to speak out loud to him yeah because they, they all like pound him with questions don't they yeah and then and then they they put him in a cell with Taylor yeah, yeah. Um, but bear in mind I, I, I didn't do a time check on this but if for argument's sake we're an hour and a quarter in we've not seen Taylor since six seven minutes in probably yeah so he's disappeared he only came back on the basis that he would be uh, spoiler alert folks but you're that far into this recording he came back on the uh, he, he he said he would come back and do a few scenes I think they shot everything with him in about eight days and he said that he it, as long as his character was killed off yeah, orig- originally he wanted it killed off right away at the beginning, yeah. and then they re- and then they came. But it back sounds and... like it, uh, for all Charlton Heston's faults, it sounded like he compromised with them quite fairly on this. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Richard Zanuck spoke to him, and he just basically said, "Look, I took a massive bet on Planet of the Apes, mm. and you profited from it. Now just do me a favour." Um, I think it's, didn't he donate his thing to charity as well? Or something? He did. Yes, he did. Yeah. Sorry, I for- I'd forgotten that detail. He did. Yes. Um, this, it's, it's interesting as well that this part of the film also reminds me very much of the Star Trek pilot, The Cage. Um, yeah, um, yeah. We we when we talked about when we talked about those episodes when Charlie joined us for that series, we didn't cover The Cage, but we covered The Menagerie, which yeah. um, reuses all the same stuff, but in the actual continuity of Kirk's era and all the rest of it. Um, uh, uh, is it the mind control element? Yeah, and yeah, and the kind of the illusions mm. and the suggestions from that. Just as a quick reminder, uh, Captain Pike, the original captain of the Enterprise, who's going to be in his own series next year, 
I think. I think it's next year. Yes. Uh, Strange New Worlds or something. New Star Trek. I'm ambivalent on that because I really, really like Pike, but I really fucking hate Alex Kurtzman and what they do with current Star Trek because I've watched two episodes of Discovery now and one of Picard, and I've got. I've gone all the way through it, reviewing episodes, going, well, it's okay, it's okay. And then I got to the end, and I've just thought, no, I hate this, it's shit. Um, but Pike was, like, the best fucking thing in it. Yeah. Although I didn't like that he was in it, because it's it's a series that doesn't know what it wants to be. It's just like, are we nostalgia? Are we plotting our own course? New Star Trek has nothing to say. But within that, the new design of the Enterprise inside, you know, the bridge and all that, and Pike, fantastic so there's a chance if they get the right showrunner but the point is um somewhere between that and the original series he got badly hurt you actually see it in an episode of discovery uh second season mm. he gets hurt and by the time we see him in the menagerie the sort of wraparound bits to the footage he's in like a wheelchair only be um, only able to sort of communicate by beeps he can't move mm. anything and he's badly burnt. Um, part of that is that it isn't the the same actor. Um, and he's just broken. And what they're trying to do is get him back to the planet that was in the cage because the mind control and illusions can give him the illusion of a real life. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fight that Brent and Taylor have um reminds me of kind of like some of the, the fights on star trek and when you had spock and kirk fighting against each other just with a lot more blood and a bit more viciousness and again you have this idea that the uh, the mutants are not going to cause any actual harm themselves they're going to make other people do it yeah mm. yeah and this is where nova finally finds the ability to talk yeah because, cause like, they, you know, they, they, they decide to sort of bring Nova in as they're doing this. It's sort of like, you know, just have to pass along. Yeah, so, like, you know, to, uh, Nova managed to walk, to, uh, walk past and, and says, Taylor! Not yeah, with a very sort of clear... Yeah, they have to do it right in that she doesn't say it... She doesn't quite pronounce it how we would, as people who are used to speaking a lot. But her voice is quite strong for someone who's never spoken. Yeah. Yeah, and she slurs it. She's, yeah, that's it. It doesn't come out quite right. Yeah, yeah. Taylor. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then that distracts the. Uh... That distracts the telepath long the enough telepath. to like break them out. Yeah, they break themselves out basically. Yeah. Um, and this is where you've sort of got sort of the apes closing in, and you know, uh, sorry, the apes well, are closing doesn't it? Well, sorry. They 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 to kill like the the mutant, but the yeah. door locks on them, so they can't get out. Um, yeah. And then it, I think they they manage to break out, but it takes them a bit of time. Um, I think. By which point the gorillas are. Uh, yeah. Are in there. Yeah. So yeah. So all of so the a lot of all the gorillas are coming in and and shooting all the mutants, um, and then Nova's shot. She shot. Yeah, she is. Yeah, um, and then you've got Taylor and Brent seeing who are who are there we're trying to work together, while Doctor Zeus and Ursus are fighting over what to do with the bomb. And because Ursus is an idiot gorilla, yeah, he just tells his his people to grab it and uh, pull it down with ropes. Mm. 
because he doesn't know what it is, and he's 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 kind of looking at it as like well, yeah. in the kind of like oh, it's it's there that we basically thought considering it as a statue. It, basically, it's, pull, it, it, it's pulling over their statue of like Saddam or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's finally it's their religion over there. Over, uh, but also the obviously they've now got to stop this happening. So Brent and Taylor are sort of trying to stop that. It's as simple as that. Uh, yeah. Taylor's Taylor sort of buy it and get shot. Okay, because uh, they they effectively start setting the bomb off, doesn't they? By by uh, pulling it down. Yeah. So it's so about then... to go off. Brent tries to stop it, but gets uh, sorry. Taylor tries to stop it and gets shot. Uh, Brent sort of gets hold of a rifle, um, kills Ursus and yeah. a few others, and he's then shot dead. Violently. And then basically. They they sort of um, that's it really isn't it yeah um, yeah and then it. and then Taylor with his final act uh, says to Doctor Doctor Zayas you bloody bastards you, I hate you you bastards and then so so over. so at the end of the last film he 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 he, he cursed everyone for blowing it up and now he's like cursing everyone. Before he blows, literally everything. Yeah. Up. Well, I, I, th- I think as soon as no- as soon as Nova dies, mm. that's his last. It's it's insinuated that that's his last kind of straw, really. And then he falls over, and um, his last act is pushing down the pre-Superman crystal kind of activation thing. Yeah. And. There's kind of that weird the, weird, the weird thing they always use um, for nuclear atomic weapons where the, the screen kind of inverts colours. Yeah. And then there's just a narration. It's a, it goes, it, yeah, sometimes it goes like a negative or something like that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 Or fade to white or sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, fade to white, negative, or, yeah, something like that. Or just like, yeah, almost like a whiteout, yeah. Yeah, and then... Narration says, "In one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium-sized star, and one of its satellites, a green and insignificant planet, is now dead." The end. Black credits with nothing, no music, anything. <laughs> and that's it. Can so, like that, a, that whole crazy, that whole kind of bomb killed the rest of the world. Sure. Yeah. We are going into one of the most uh, pessimistic eras for films ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, the 70s. And it does start around there. Think think of a lot of films around this era we could name that ended in, like, the leads dying and things like that. It's not that unusual. No. The trouble is, it's in a weaker film than some of the examples we might come up with. And as such, it does feel like, like you said, Chris, almost like a little bit cop-out. Like, oh, I guess we're done. Bye. <laughs> no. I mean, um, I mean, I think the problem is, is because it, you know, everything else felt like everything is happening at like a double, treble speed. It's like you know, before before you know it, you're watching like the first film, but like you know, but in fast forward, and then and then and then all of a sudden it's like shit, mutants. Like, how the fuck did we get here? And then it's like, and and then you get into like, you know, the whole world blows up, and you're thinking like. How the fuck did we get to that? Yeah, you like know, twenty-five you know. minutes ago, we hadn't even met the mutants or whatever. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's, it's a fairly suitable end, really, in in thematic terms. And I mean, it's, it's especially if if you you can watch the films in kind of I call it pseudo chronological order, um, where you kind of you you start off um, with the uh, with actually with next week's film. Um, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, and then Conquest, and then you go to Battle, and then you go to the original Planet of the Apes, and this ends up being the last film in the actual series. Mm. Yeah, um, which is which is interesting. I mean, in especially in in terms of the inspiration for the ending. So it's especially because the ending kind of coming up abruptly. Um, what happened was that at the time. 20th Century Fox was going through a massive um, bad period, and they they lost like 70 million or something um, at that time. Make just I think there was one kind of big musical with Julie Andrews that made they spent a lot of money on, and it made no money whatsoever. Um, and it ended up that there was a power struggle between the uh, president of Fox, a guy called Daryl F. Zanuck, who was a big kind of mogul. And his son, who uh, was Richard Zanuck, who produced the original Planet of the Apes and produced this one, and would also go on to form the uh, production company Zanuck Brown, uh, which you will know from watching Jaws as one of the uh, one of the, the first credits in the film. Um, and what happened was, while this was going on, his dad, Daryl Zanuck, fired his son. Um, just, just to get rid of a power struggle. So because this was his son's last project, he just said, fuck it, blow it all up. Right. Blow the planet up. Yeah, I'm just looking for... I'm looking for the film you you were on about. You mentioned Julie Andrews, but yeah, I was it's looking. Called, it's at, called Star. I'm looking, at, I'm looking right at it, but I went in the wrong direction first. But actually, there isn't... It's it's sort of not wrong because I went to Hello Dolly because I couldn't remember who starred in it. I knew yeah, Michael Crawford was in it, but that's a Fox film that took twenty six million off a twenty five million budget. So effectively, that lost money as well. Yeah. And so um, and that that was the year before this. So yeah. or the same year, one of the two. Sorry, yeah. I think they were both sixty eight, sixty nine, and then this is seventy. Funnily enough, Star was directed by Robert Wise, Star Trek the Motion Picture. Oh wow! Yeah, because they they also did. Um, I, th- I think it came after this, after Apes, but they made um, Tora Tora Tora, which is a big film where they tried to do um, the attack on Pearl Harbor, um, and they kind of had it from both sides, almost of the of the sides. So they had you had like um, people like Joseph Cotton and Jason Robots, um, and then you had a lot of kind of famous. Japanese actors uh, and actresses as well, um, like Tatsuya Mayashi, who was in some uh, Kurosawa films. Um, and same with uh, he, pronunciation is Mugenjiro's, but Ijori Tono. Um, and the, it was directed by uh, Richard Fleischer, um, who had done a bunch of films like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, um, and he did Fantastic Voyage as well, and Soylent Green with Charlton Heston. Um, and also, just some of the Japanese stuff was directed by Kinji Fukasaku, who was a really massively famous um, 
America, uh, sorry, Japanese director who did the, the, the series of Yakuza films called Battles Without Honor and Humanity, and he directed Battle Royale as well. Battles um, Without Honor and Humanity, the most well-known bit of music. Uh, exactly. Bill, a trailer for Kill Bill 1. And yeah. A piece of music every single person listening to this knows. Yes, exactly. Um, and that, that film had a 25 million budget, um, and it only made 37 million. Which is a lot. It yeah. is a loss because you've got to remember marketing budgets exactly, and cinema yeah. cuts and every, cinema yeah. cuts and everything. And bear in mind, pre pre Star Wars, cinema cuts were probably higher, probably closer to fifty percent. Now yeah. they now with the behemoth of franchises we've got, they can drive ridiculous bargains like this many screens, and you only get a tiny percentage for the first eight weeks and all that nonsense. Exactly. Um, back then, yeah, half of it. Well, back, well I think it's about forty five percent went to cinemas and then you've got to factor in the marketing budget so if you're taking 150 percent of your budget if you like you're losing money yeah now a bit more complicated because bear in mind no home market either at this point now i know the bottom's fallen out of dvds now and but there are streaming deals and all the rest of it but the point is back then it showed theatrically that was it that film lost money no doubt yeah and uh, I mean, and, and again, luckily, Planet of the Apes was kind of consistently making money. And as we see, they're about to cut their cloth. Yeah. Uh, and actually, it's the best thing the series could have done. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk more about that next week. Um, yeah. Final thoughts on it from me. I really don't want to add a lot because I've, I've said, you know, I've, I've talked plenty, but I've also said a lot less as we've gone through than, than some films we talk about, because there's not really much here. The last 25 minutes is interesting, but it's interesting relative to a boring first hour, and it still introduces characters that are dead within minutes. It's it's all over fairly quickly. Um, you can infer a lot of interesting themes about the preemptive strike, the role of religion, separation of church and state, all of those things but they may not have meant it. <laughs> it might just have bled in a little bit from its era. Feels like a bit of a rushed cash in, to be honest with you. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay. I've seen, we, we've covered worse. We've covered a lot worse. Its biggest crime is it's really boring um, and it feels a bit TV, but I think a lot of that is because it's a rehash with, you know, with a budget Charlton Heston standing, which is exactly what TV used to do back in the day. They sort of retell the story with different people playing the cast so uh not a highlight it's not going to be a highlight of the series i dare say it's either the second or the third worst film we'll court court cover in the entire thing um but it could have been a lot worse the only problem is once it gets interesting i've checked out so it's got interesting but i'm not really paying that much attention so that's it from me becca there i do um yeah, I kind of I do feel a little bit bad for panning this in terms of its sort of critique or lack thereof. Um, but yeah, I think this one kind of really gets going and it, towards its sort of latter stages, really. Um, just kind of wraps up like the first part of it is just kind of like a retread of the first film, and it's just a shame that um, uh, uh, James Franciscus—I can't even say his name—Franciscus, um, call him Franciscan Friar, but <laughs> that's not his name. I've got off so. quite light with Bond. I mean, it doesn't take me long to sign my name or anything. 
No, it's quite nice and easy, isn't it? I have it, got one sure. of these names I have to spell or spell for fucking everybody. Really? <laughs> you know, I don't. No, I'm saying I don't. I, I, I spell I mine properly. Yeah. And even, even when I pronounce mine, they still pronounce it. I say, I say it's Bridgeton. They still say, oh, Bridgeton. No. Like, no. GD. Yeah. Damn yeah. it. Exactly. I'm, I'm, or, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just used to it. It's automatically whenever I give my name out to whoever. I, even if even when it doesn't matter, I always have to say B Y R N A. That's one of those things, yeah. isn't it? It's like with my name, it's like no, it's like one B, two C's, no K H, no this, no that, no the other. But yeah, sorry, I mispronounced the name. I do apologise. Anyway, James Franciscus. There we go. Um, yeah, it's a shame that he's. He may have been a great TV actor. Um, I'm sorry to say this is probably the first and only film I've seen him in. Um, but yeah, he's does like a little bit of charisma definitely um but yeah this film for me kind of did does get going towards the end really when it does the support obviously they go they sort of reveal the secret um beneath the planet um and then you do get all these amazing commentaries as, as charlie's gone through on sort of nuclear war and church of state things like that for example um for me i think which is a real shame um but yeah that's just kind of my view it's quite a quite plodding um and rather dull unfortunately um until the latter section of the film so but i'm um, looking forward to as i say watching the series as a whole and maybe watching it in, in more of a context rather than just kind of singling it out, you know, singling it out. Chris. Yeah. Um, it, it, it kind of like, you know, I kind of my way it just kind of goes for it and just, you know, throws everything and just see what sticks. But, um, it is a bit of a mess. I kind of feel like, you know, it, 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 it it's a bit chaotic, um, and everything feels a bit too rushed, and just kind of like, well, I suppose you know the end says it all. It's like everyone dies, the end. Like right, done. Um, um, but you know, as Dave says, there's worse films. Um, there's there's still stuff of interest. Uh, I wasn't bored by it. Um, it's. Well done, I was. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, generally it wasn't. I wasn't born by it, and I think also it's like, well, you know, at least it's ninety minutes. <laughs> you know, at least, at least if you are bored by it, it's, you're not bored for that long, because um, you know other films do tend to drag on. So, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm excited for the next uh, part of my ape's journey. Oh, it's gonna get way better. Promise. Charlie? Yeah, I mean, I, I ha- having seen it multiple times before, um, I kind of have the luxury of knowing that that bit of the end is kind of the best bit. So I, again, like I said earlier, I kind of did other stuff while I was, well, the uh, the boring bits were going on. I mean, it, a and lot you don't of it, miss anything. You no. really don't, yeah. A lot of that, a lot of the, the retread is just, it is really dull. And because they've almost tried to repeat John Heston's character as well, so you've got Franciscus, again, because Nova can't talk, you've got Franciscus doing his um, inner monologue constantly, and he's got, it's so flat because he's got no presence. Say what you want about John Heston, but the man had presence and the man had um, charisma, and this guy certainly had Nero. Nero, this guy sadly had neither at this time, um, so it all becomes flat. But yeah, Nova. As, as, 
joke. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but as as soon as you get to the uh, the Forbidden Zone and all the mutant stuff, it just turns almost into a different film. Um, and the the ending still kind of has an an aspect of shock for me. It just it, it just the way it's done. It just 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 feels that way. And uh, so yeah, it's again. It's it's whether you can justify two thirds of the film being really really boring for a last act that uh, that is actually interesting and fun um, and somewhat thought provoking. Um, whereas it's and I think I probably can. Whereas while it's boring, battle is much more of a kind of a more poorly made film, I think. Um, and it's very jokey and it's, it's funny as well where it shouldn't be. Um, so while battles probably more, a more entertaining film, I'd probably say beneath is is still a better film. Um, once and I think I got, I think it lost me fairly early. So I think when you, I've just, I think I might have granted agreement when you said it's a funnier film, and it's like that's not how I remember it. But then the tone of the third and fourth film tells me it must be, so I just need to watch it again. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's uh, stuff I remember with the. Uh, I think the general's name in it is is Urko, and uh, he's hilarious. Right. Um, and because because they're, they're kind of again because it's much smaller. And it's much smaller there um, because of the because of what's obviously without going into what happens next week and the week after, everything gets much smaller again, and you're back to a period where the massive ape cities aren't there yet, so everything's like kind of little villages settling. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like neighbours or home in a way. Oh, that I'm sold. That's something I thought I'd never hear. Oh, Becca, such a philistine! You've you've not even picked up on the similarity of uh, the Planet of the Apes series to Neighbours and Home and Away. Shocking, positively yeah. shocking. Although it's, it's it's almost like you're not paying attention at all. <laughs> well, know. yeah, we know they belong together. Yeah, <laughs> forever and ever. <laughs> He's just quoted the lyrics from <laughs> Home and Away. Oh, okay. I, I imagine. I mean, not that yeah. I would have ever seen that. <laughs> no, not, not, not. I mean, not I mean, I, I mean, you know, just just be grateful I didn't <laughs> sing it. There's, there is one thing though that this film, as I, I can't remember seeing it in hearing it in the original film, but the idea that ape does not kill ape, right. which which is mentioned when Doctor Zaius says to Ursus. For that he when when there's the, the big illusion and he says you should put them out of their misery. It, it doesn't make sense really though because uh, although it's an idea that that sort of delineates that society from ours, I I, I just couldn't see any society, you know, where that would be the case because you're always going to get crimes of passion and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, I know, I know but I mean that, that but it's still that that's where I believe the introduction was. And it's something that even goes on in the new films. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think... Um, 
No, I I understand what you're saying. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Just... I'm not. I'm not saying I think it's a particularly a problem, and I think it's an interesting wrinkle to throw on, but it's a difficult concept to throw any weight behind as that of would course. stick. Yeah, yeah. And and we get to that when we get to something like War. I think it's in War, Planet of the Apes. You know, with Cobra and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I'm not sure I know enough about the film. Well, well, if Charlie doesn't know much about the film, then I don't see how, a chance, how much of a chance me and Dave has. We would need, doomed, we, we would need a very, very specialist, well, a, a fact specialist, Chris. Someone who... <laughs> More specialist than Charlie. I don't think there is such a well, person. No, Ch- Charlie's, Ch- Charlie's got niche expertise. What we need is someone who masters the whole fact industry as a whole. Yeah, so... So... <laughs> so, so so someone who not necessarily knows much about Planet of the Apes, but knows knows facts. But whatever the series, we know that they go and find find what's necessary. I think that's what we need. When I say need, I think only because it's in the format, because I don't really care <laughs> when it comes to this film. But anyway, I think I to change the format, really, there, to there's honest. only one person I've ever met that's up to this job, Chris. Is that? Well, thankfully, she's on the call with us. It's Becca. <laughs> I need to uh, Becca. pass the shoe. <laughs> and we'll throw it, we'll, and we'll lob it back at you because we, we could be asked to read shit on this. I, I did kind of struggle. I thought, right, I'll, I'll go and look elsewhere, rah, rah, and I, I won't just find boring facts on IMDb. Rah, rah, no, rah. <laughs> I struggled. A lot of these have come from Charlie's immense brain and knowledge, so it's all good. Um, yeah, so some fun facts that I managed to find out about this film, um, as Charlie mentioned. Um, also, this is the only film in the series, of this, well, the original series, not to feature Roderick McDowell, who was busy working on his um, the only film that he ever directed. Um, and fun fact number two, obviously, as Charlie also mentioned, um, this is the first film in the original series that doesn't, doesn't mention the 20th century Fox logo at the start, which is a pattern for the rest of the original series. Fun fact number three, uh, not mentioned by Charlie, um, Orson Welles was offered the role of Ursus, but declined, as was Ernst Borgnine, apparently. That would have been interesting. It's amazing, because Orson Welles would do any old shit for money. Yeah, I'm quite surprised that he didn't do this, considering <laughs> the actor played Ursus. I, I thought it was like John Wayne or somebody. <laughs> I think he didn't do the, uh, the, music, uh, the makeup. Fair enough. Mm. Incredible. Uh, oh, yeah, also considered for the role of not David Brent um, was Burt Reynolds. Apparently, that would have been an altogether different film had he taken on the lead role. That might um, have been, yeah, okay, that might have made this film stand out a little bit more because he's difficult, different physical type for a star. Exactly. Yeah, it was more kind of it would have been perhaps more of a star vehicle, I guess. Um, but he just brings a completely different presence away from Charlton Heston, which is quite interesting. Um, fun fact number four, this film sees the first appearance of Natalie Trendy, aka okay, Mrs. Arthur P. Jacobs. Um, and she's quite notable in that she plays all three groups in the series. So she plays a mutant in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, a human in Escape from the Planet of the Apes, and an ape in Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. And her and Norman Burton are the only two actors to have played both human and ape characters in the original series. Um, another fun fact number five, um, again from the brain of Charlie, um, in connection to the series that we previously covered, uh, Victor Bruno, who um, here plays a character called Fat Man, which I think is really harsh. Um, he plays a member of the Mutant Council, also playing King Tut in the 1966 Batman movie. 
Norman Burton's also the only man I can think of who's ever retrieved diamonds from the anus of a corpse. <laughs> Even true, my dear. Yeah. Well, that's... that's... Yeah, forever, whatever other films, TV that he's done, he'll always be Felix and Diamonds Forever. Yeah, one of the weaker Felixes, but there you go. Uh, not really his fault, won't give a lot to do. Um, yeah, that was more fun than the film, folks. <laughs> oh. That was fun, folks. Right, okay, as for social media, you can find me at the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter. Ah, uh, you can find me on Twitter on You can also find all the old episodes at cinematrucks.co.uk. You can find me at Films on Wax on Twitter. And you can find us at Do You Expect Us Talk on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean and wherever else you enjoy your podcasts. Don't forget to rate us, review us, to like us and share us. Thank you very much. Share us around like a bunch of dirty bitches. <laughs> <laughs> use be gentle, us, abuse us, but be gentle. And give us, you know, make us a cup of tea afterwards as well. Yeah, don't forget. Yeah. And give us well, a like. Thank you very much. Give, or, or just give us a like. Save yourself a bit of energy. Um, I think we should go lower budget and more comedic, Becca. What do you reckon? I agree. <laughs> Expect us talk or return with Escape from Planet of the Apes. <laughs>